much every Wednesday. I don't think I've missed one yet. So I say it every every week. Live every Wednesday, 78 p.m. Hey, Andrew, how you doing? For everyone who's uh, just joining in, today we're going to talk briefly about what's going on in the current market in southwestern Ontario here. Um, the market is crazy. We're seeing properties with 50 offers. We're seeing things go hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking price. And in many cases, not even overpriced. I think we're seeing some trends this year that I didn't expect to see. You know, hell, you guys know you've been following me. I've sold off a ton of my real estate portfolio, probably uh, more than half at this point. So it's it sucks that I sold off when I did, but I'm looking at new opportunities with that capital, so I have no regrets. But looking forward now with the remaining portfolio that I have, and you know, I still have like 20 properties, it's you know, where, where are things going? And what are you guys seeing in the market? And I'm curious what people are hearing and seeing as well. Here as a realtor, what I'm seeing is there is a huge shortage of inventory. There is just not enough inventory to go around. People wanna buy and there's nothing right now, nothing to buy. So that's contributing to 50, 60 people bidding on a property. What ends up happening is people get emotional and they get irrational and they get tired of competing. And so then they get, they start overpaying for real estate, right? And so that's what we're seeing in this market right now. Um, a lot of it's fueled by one shortage of inventory. The lockdown has created and COVID has created a shortage of inventory. That's what's happened. Two, it's fueled by the cheapest debt we've ever had in history. So that's that's huge. Um, we haven't seen debt this cheap ever. So on average, we're seeing people getting five-year mortgages here in Canada at one and a half percent. I heard about the 099 so less than 1% interest rate on your mortgage. So you, if you borrowed $100,000, we're talking about it costing you um, like $1,000 on every on every $100,000 you're borrowing. Like in some cases, nothing. Like literally like almost free to borrow right now. And so what are people doing? They're borrowing against real estate because it's appreciating and people are looking at historical trends to make their decision going forward. And that's partially a mistake. Um, historical analysis does not predict Future, now, um, future price, it can give us some indication of how things may turn out, but I don't like to base any of my decisions solely on historical um, data. Another thing that's sort of interesting too is the trend that COVID's created around this idea that we can't travel, that the government can control when we can leave, like when we can, anything we can do really, but whatever happens on our property is, like there's no rules, we're fair game, right? We're basically, as long as we keep it less than five, at certain points it was 10 people, we can do whatever we want. Pools, public pools closed down. Public vacation places closed down. Movie theaters closed down. So what are people doing? They're investing in bigger houses, bigger lots, their own pool, their own movie theater, their own gym. I, I built my own gym during COVID. Um, it's one of those things that you can't go to the gym to work out. People are just not just gonna stop working out. They're gonna build their own gyms. And so then when you need a, now you need both parents to be able to work from home because that's the new trend. So now you need two extra offices. They can't be in the same room because then you'd hear each other on the phone. So you need two extra rooms. And then there's also the issue where if you have family come and visit, they, need to, they could need to quarantine. So there's additional demand for nanny suites and things like that. Um, home movie rooms and theaters, pools, hot tubs, way up on the rise. And so that's playing into how people are spending their, their money. And then let's not forget that the top 25% of people are the richest they've ever been in history. So if you're in the top quarter, if you make more than like 60 grand a year, you're probably already in the top quarter. People think they're all middle class, but like if you're a nurse, if you're like 
a fireman, a police officer, they're all top. Like you're already looking down on the other three quarters of people who are struggling just to get by right now. And they're suffering through this pandemic, but people who have wealth, people who are invested in, you know, all the cryptocurrency and look what's happened in all the, the growth stocks, the Tesla doing like 10X in the last couple of years, people have a whole bunch of newfound money. And what do they do with newfound money? Well, they increase their standard of living. In most cases, people spend it. And where do they spend it right now? You can't spend it on vacations. You can't really spend it anywhere except for on your home, right? Your your castle, your your area, your compound. And so that's where we're seeing money being spent. People are wanting to upgrade their house. People are moving out of the big cities and they're taking that $2 million house that was in the city and now they get a mansion in a smaller town. And so we're seeing this trend spill over in a big way into the prices of real estate. And so real estate is at all time highs. And I think for 2021, the pent up demand we're seeing right now and the lack of, let's not forget another catalyst is the lack of um, supply. Like how do you have this city? I have permits in to convert property from a uh, single family to duplex. And I put that permit in September. I still have no response. So to put an addition on a property, it takes six months to a year with COVID. It could take longer than a year. Like expect no profit if you're a flipper and you need permits, right? If you're a builder, good luck trying to build right now. There's another lockdown, another shutdown. Like what's that gonna do to the inventory when there's no new inventory being created and there's people still immigrating here, people still wanting to move, people still wanting to expand. Um, that's gonna have, again, upward pressure on the prices of real estate. So we're seeing a lot of that right now in the market and things are hot. Is it a bubble? No, like technically prices are relative to interest rates which determines your monthly mortgage payment are actually reasonable. Like if you buy a million dollar house right now and you can go get HSBC at a 1% mortgage. So if you get a 1% mortgage rate on a million dollar house, right? Say you have an $800,000 um, mortgage. You're talking like $8,000 a year in interest. That's nothing, like nothing. It used to cost more to own a $400,000 house. So the, the fact that the Bank of Canada, the central bank is forcing interest rates down to stimulate the economy is also stimulating the real estate market. And they've said, hey, we're not gonna, in 2021, there'll be no rate increases. That's what they're saying. They're saying holding out till 2022 even, potentially, maybe even longer. That gives investors a lot of confidence to go buy real estate. Because hey, rates are super low, money is free, go buy this million dollar house, your mortgage payments will be almost nothing. It's free, just go have it, uh, if you can qualify. And the top 25%, who own most of the real estate, by the way, um, it's your dentists and doctors and entrepreneurs that own several rental properties and they're the ones who are the consumers of real estate for the most part, right? Um, it is the wealthy and the wealthy are the richest they've ever been. All of the real estate portfolios now have all doubled in value. They've got seven figures potentially in, in equity. They can now refinance at super cheap interest rates, put it out. What are they going to do with all that extra money? Well, what did they just do over the last five years? They bought property and they made a lot of money. So what are they going to do? They're going to buy more property. So that's going to increase the demand is basically just, just through the roof right now for real estate, um, both from a, the consumer, you know, who's looking to buy their single family dream house to the investor who's looking for to park the money somewhere. And real estate can make a lot of sense because of the amount of leverage you can put to work in it. Right. So anyway, that's my little synopsis. That's my little uh, market update for what we're seeing in London, what we're seeing in Southwestern Ontario. That's going to spill over into, I think, another 15 or 20 percent appreciation um, this year again. So for those of us who have still decent portfolios, that could mean seven figure appreciation again. That could mean another 100% return on our down payments. It's awesome. I wish I had more real estate in some cases. Uh, okay, so next question is, uh, hey Shaylin, how you doing? Victoria, how you doing? Jamal, how you doing? 
Any thoughts on renter's insurance? Um, a lot of landlords require it. I don't know what the thoughts would be. It can be really good to establish rental insurance early on, only because it'll give you a history with the insurance company. It could also provide you a discount on your car insurance and stuff like that by bundling. So it could make sense to do it. From a liability perspective, it's good to have that protection. If you don't have that emergency fund set aside, it could help you for sure. I have a few questions regarding real estate, looking to buy a hometown condo to live in. How do you pick realtors when you're looking at multiple different areas and cities? Well, I would probably pick a realtor for each location. Um, usually a realtor has a specialty. So if the realtor is a specialist in condos in Toronto, pick that realtor to look at condos in Toronto. And then another realtor, if they're from London, let's just say, pick that realtor who's a specialist in London and say, hey, I'm looking for whatever this kind of property. If that's what they specialize in, work with them. Um, but it's about fit too, right? You know, just because they're the best or perceived best at marketing in their field in, in real estate in that area they specialize in doesn't mean they're necessarily the best for you. They might not be the best fit, and they might be the best only because they get their clients all the they get their clients the deal because their clients are overpaying. You don't know, right? It could be um, that they market themselves to be the best, but maybe they aren't the best. Um, there could be a hidden gem out there. But typically, typically the people who are producing a lot of volume, like you could ask them, how many transactions did you do? last year and they'll tell you right and so that could be a way to determine if they're a full-time realtor and they're actually good at what they're doing hello okay next question chris says what do you think about the calgary market i have no thoughts on the calgary market i don't follow it at all so i'll reserve from commenting but i'm sure that the low interest rates right now and the amount of money they're printing is probably putting some upward pressure on real estate prices right now. Would be my guess. Shailen Paris says, what cities are offering the best value if commuting to downtown Toronto isn't really a factor? She said in brackets, our firm is going permanently work from home so I can pretty much choose any city within a three hour drive to downtown Toronto. Um, you know, three hours is pretty far. Like I think three hours is almost to Windsor. So you, that pretty much limits, I mean, there's a lot of cities in there, right? Like London's an hour and a half to downtown Toronto and good traffic, right? So London's been a, a candidate. A lot of people moving out of Toronto have chosen. Um, you could go into like smaller towns too. There are a lot of small towns along the way, like everything from Woodstock to Tilsonburg to, you know, you could be on the beach towns like Port Stanley and Grand Band. There's lots of places you could choose that are a couple hours to Toronto. Um, from a value perspective, that depends on what you value. I don't know if you're, unless you're talking strictly um, cap rate to, um, or basic cap rate, right? Like net operating income to price. I think we've seen a lot of appreciation in some of the small towns. So I've heard good things about Guelph still too. Um, KWC is obviously a bit overpriced, I think, for what it is. And you're still pretty close to the, to the core. I don't know. I guess it comes out of fit, right, at the end of the day. And I think... Um, you know, if you like the city and you can find a good deal in a neighborhood that you like, it could make sense. London still has some affordability left, I think, but you've got to look really hard for it. And the market's super tight. 75 hard. I've been doing the, the workouts and all that. And if you've been following me on Instagram, at Mike Rosehart, you know that I've been doing the two workouts a day and I've been getting some real progress, like some real size growth, which is good. But um, yeah, it's one of my goals for... 2021 this fall i'd also like to be in costa rica 
or Hawaii. So look forward to that. Plan that, line that up for a little bit, or somewhere warm at least. Opinion on Doug Ford residential eviction ban. Does him coming out publicly on that incentivize some bad actors to stop paying rent? For sure. I mean, that's a loaded question. There are definitely some in the rent strike group that are going to look for any signal at all not to pay and then not pay. Uh, he did mention that in his speech that there was a rent strike. But what I've seen online is that there's currently no legislation that's stopping any tribunals. So all the hearings are still going on. Nothing's been halted yet. So people are still going through the Leonard Tenenbaum hearings. You could still, if you had an eviction already on the, on the slate, you could still have your hearing. I have a trial in that was submitted nine months ago and we still haven't had um, a date yet for our trial. So expect a year or more anyway with everything going on. Construction should be super delayed. If a flip should take three months with a permit, it's gonna take you nine months now, like three times as long as you expected. Um, you know, same with evictions. If you thought you could get done in six months, expect a year or longer. I think it's one of those things where you can just, in most cases, you wanna just work with the tenant and hopefully you don't have those bad actors in your properties. And you can say, hey, like, let's work together and find a plan to, to make rent. I think Doug Ford should have put together a better plan that said, hey, um, you know, we're going to create a plan that helps people, helps Ontarians who really can't afford rent, afford rent. Like instead of serve, it's like, Hey, there's a relief fund here for rent. And if you actually can't afford it and you're low income, whatever, and you've been laid off because of what's going on with the lockdowns, there's a fund you can apply to and we'll cover the rent percentage send it directly to the landlord. Instead, he's like basically just putting a tax on landlords, which like that makes no sense. Um, it's not smart. It doesn't bode well for the long term for any of the groups like landlords are pissed off tenants eventually will pay the cost of that so yeah it sucks but that's why you got to place good tenants and you don't place the bad actors in your properties long term there are already some really cool platforms that exist um the ontario landlord watch has the landlord uh, bureau that they've created where um, landlords can now rate tenants and you can basically tenants will now get like credit profiles and every landlord should go on here and do this and should report um, when they've had a good tenant and then that good tenant will have reviews there and bad tenants will be on that list. And when you've screwed your landlord, you'll never be able to find housing because all the landlords will go on there and say, oh, here's a scumbag tenant who doesn't pay rent and trashed the unit and you know did drugs in it or whatever. Like all those bad actors who, and they're not the majority, like there's like the bottom 10% or 20% that are really just terrible tenants you don't want in your, in your buildings. Um, those bad actors will have a hard, hard time finding accommodation because landlords will see, hey, Joe landlord and you know, whatever, Bob landlord have said bad things about this tenant and you can verify that and there'll be a way to, to now look at that. And that'll obviously eventually, they're now looking at registering that on your credit bureau as well. And so uh, a lot of these bad actors already have bad credit scores. So I don't know why landlords rent them in the first place. In most cases, it's bad property managers not doing their proper due diligence. And then these bad actors get into properties and they cost everyone a bunch of money and a bunch of drama. It's, it's sad really. Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole, but yeah, it's, um, it's tough times for everyone right now. And I believe where you have good tenants that you want to stay in your properties that are, you know, have been good up until now, give them some leniency. If they're laid off or they're on a lockdown and whether they can't work right now, make a payment plan, you know, figure something out. You don't don't resort to eviction anyway. That's that's always a last resort. You don't really want to evict a tenant. You want tenants to stay. The most expensive thing for a landlord is turnover. We have to refresh the unit. We have to clean it, paint it, set it up. There's months of vacancy repairs that we have built up, 
it costs landlords thousands of dollars to turn a unit over. And if the tenant's paying a decent rent, even if they aren't, even if they're paying like 80% of market rent, it's often still worth it to keep the tenant there to not have the headaches and the vacancies associated. So in some of my units that are under rented that I, you know, I rented myself at one point, I'd rather the tenant stay. In many cases, I won't even raise rents. I'll often, you know, maybe do a one or 2% increase. If my property taxes or utilities go way up, I might have a conversation and say, hey, I'm just increasing it by inflation, but here's a, you know, a credit to help offset some of that, just like a retention bonus. Those are the sorts of things you can offer. But um, turnover is expensive. And a month of vacancy already costs you 10% of your annual rent roll right there. So you got to think about how vacancy can impact your bottom line. That's a piece of it too. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a business. That's what we're doing as landlords is running little businesses. Each property is its own business. Mr. Mikel, hi Mike, how is it going? It's going good. Can you build a gym in a high-rise condo? Um, I mean, most high-rise condos have little gyms you can go to, but I suppose you could, you know, in a condo, turn a bedroom into like a gym or like a living room into a gym. I think you have to be careful about how much construction you get into. Like if you had good heavy-duty floor mats and you probably would make too much noise. If you're doing like heavy deadlifts or something, that might be an issue for the unit below. That's the problem with condos and having you know, people above and below you is you gotta deal with that noise piece, right? You have to be considerate of other people. But I don't know, each condo will have its own rules. Randy says, hi Mike, I appreciate your thoughts about when is a good time to sell a rental property. Uh, how do you know when it is a good time to sell and what do you think we need to consider? Well, look at market conditions. So what is the market doing right now? As an example, it's on fire. And so it doesn't even matter if your property is distressed or whatever, it'll fly off the shelves right now. If as long as it's priced reasonably well, sold. So that's, that's one indicator. Um, something else to look for would be like, how much equity do you have in the property? Does it make sense to refinance the property? If you can't refinance it and you can't get the equity out, then you most definitely should sell it. Because if you've got a property that's paid down 60 or 70%, uh, let's say even 50% of the loan to value, current value in the market right now is the current mortgage balance. That's a problem. That means that half the property is owned and your own cash is trapped in there. And that means your ROI or return on investment is not very good. Properties return in this market, typically between six and eight cap if owned in cash. That's not that attractive, right? I mean, it's a safe place to park your money and okay, I, I can see it as like a, you know, better than, than a bond, right? So it's a safer alternative to bonds, but I don't know. I think that in most cases it makes sense to sell. Unless you have appreciation like we've had in the last couple of years, because some of the appreciation we've seen is 20% year over year in London. It's just, that's crazy. Even people owning it in cash have done okay. Harpeet says, hi Mike, good evening. How is everything going? Going well, thank you. Wow, that chair. Yes, this is the chair, you know, it's got me for my birthday. Did I show the chair? Yeah, show it. Okay, evening, how you doing? Gary says, how do you distinguish a good deal from a bad deal? Well, there are a lot of things that could make a deal good to one person and not to another, right? Um, I, for instance, salivate at the opportunity for a conversion, duplex conversion. Other people look at the amount of work associated with a deal like that, and it's a turnoff. I would consider that a bad deal because the amount of time and energy they have to spend to get the property to turnkey standard. Other people look at a turnkey deal and they say, that's disgusting, it has no value add. 
Other people look at a turnkey deal and say, wow, I get 20% return on my money right now. I don't have to do any work. That's amazing. So uh, it just depends on what you're looking for, right? Um, as an example, right now in, the, in my journey where I'm at, I'd much prefer a property that produced 25% ROI but was turnkey than a property that produced a 40% ROI but that required a lot of energy and work. So for me, time is important. I would rather take a lower return on investment and actually make more in the end because I can do more deals, I can get more done with the extra time that I have, not sunk into one deal. So how do you distinguish a good deal from a bad deal? Run your numbers, look at your cap rates, look at comparables in the market, what are the properties selling for in the area? And you can compare that and say, hey, this is selling for 200,000, every house in the street sold for 300, that's a good deal. Hands down, no matter whether you do work to it or not, probably a good deal. So there's certain things you can look at in benchmarks. But yeah, exactly, you just gotta look at your numbers. Mm. Investment properties are selling for what they can be instead of what they are in my market. Are you seeing this where you are? Yes, there is some of that going on where people are pricing in the potential now. Same in the growth stocks in the market right now. There's a ton of um, priced in growth and I don't like to pay for things that haven't happened yet. That's just my model when I invest. Hello says, hey Mike, look at Swollen IG. I was curious if you could list some of the most important things you look for when investing in a rental property. Hey, thanks, by the way. I was uh, getting some good shots when I was finished the pump, you know, as Arnold says, it's all about the bump, the bump. The bump is like gumming. If you guys ever watch Pumping Iron, that's uh, Arnold's, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, hoping to invest in the next year or two. So books to look for. Um, hmm. Bigger Pockets. Go to biggerpockets.com and just search through the threads there. Read everything that they have on their, their website and listen to their podcast. That's an amazing place to start. There'll be book references as you go through that too. So check all those out. It's not all Canadian based, but a lot of it's applicable. Andre says, question, what's your thoughts on buying pre-construction versus resale for a primary residence? Do you think pre-construction has too much markup? I think that's a loaded, vague question. It's impossible to make that distinction in general. Um, there are some pre-constructions where you put very little money down and you're in an early phase where by the time you take possession, you've got a huge amount of appreciation. It can make a lot of sense because you didn't put much money down. Um, there are also some pre-construction new builds where it can make a lot of sense you get into early phases and you can close with $100,000 in equity in some cases. Uh, there are also some pre-construction you know, houses that I see trying to be sold in the market that are overpriced right now. And so it depends on the builder, depends on the agent that they have, depends on you know what they're throwing in. Sometimes they'll throw in great upgrades, some builders don't, it depends on the quality. There's so many things, so many variables that play into it. So it's hard to say, is there one that's better than the other? Um, I don't know, it's a mixed bag, mixed bag. Saw your mortgage cards, I knew I liked you. I have literally hundreds of thousands through investing in, oh, Magic the Gathering, sorry. I thought some people use MTG as um, uh, mortgage. I've heard that used a lot in the real estate industry, but MTG is, I think, Magic the Gathering. So you're looking on my Instagram stories and you saw, um, that's awesome, hundreds of thousands of dollars through Magic the Gathering. Yeah, I have a, a large card collection, actually, of Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, um, I have a large hockey collection of cards from the 1960s, 1970s. So I have like Pat Quinn, um, I have the year after his rookie card. I have a lot of cool cards that um, of some famous people from the 60s and 70s. And I have the 90s cards too, like Matt Sandin 
in, in Hollow. I have the, a, lot, a lot of cool cards that I collected when I was a kid. I was a big, big collector of cards when I was like maybe 10. I would go to garage sales and buy whatever I could. And then stupid me, in when I was 18, I actually sold my Pokemon collection to someone for, I think it was 150 bucks. And I sold like the Hollow Charizard, Bulbasaur, um, Blastoise, like all the like key cards that are probably worth like $50,000 right now, sold them for like a hundred bucks. And um, that was a bummer that I did that. But I was like, ah, no one cares about Pokemon anymore. I'm also get a little bit of money. I think I used it to buy like a, a bench press and some dumbbells or something when I was going to university at 17. So regret, but I still have a nice large collection of cards and it's, I don't know what it's worth. I don't probably anywhere from 2000 to 20,000 depending on the collector. Yeah, right, that's true. You know, I should have bought Bitcoin back then too, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I'd be a multi, multi-millionaire by now. Not multi-millionaire, or maybe even billionaire at that point, if I invested enough money in it. Next question is, hey Mike, are there any banks that provide mortgages for student rentals? Yes, there are. Um, a lot of people who buy student rentals don't disclose that they're student rentals or buy properties that are not student rental now and say, hey, my intention is not student rental and I'm gonna do a family rental. Then they buy it, close on it, and they change their mind. And that's okay, because when they were buying it, it was not a student rental, it did not have students in it, and it was not their intention at that time to student rental. So I've heard that narrative used a lot. The bank that is the least friendly for rental properties is TD. I've had the worst experiences with TD, so just avoid them entirely. Uh, the most bullish on rental properties are Scotiabank. They don't really like student rentals, but they're bullish on rental properties in general. And CIBC is extremely bullish on rental properties. So those are the two that I like the most for mortgage A lender banks. Some of the credit unions are more flexible with 25% down, they'll, they'll back student rentals, even if they're loaded full of students now on the appraisal, et cetera, so forth. Um, so it depends on the situation of the deal, but there are lenders who are um, accepting of student rentals, accepting the risk. Thanks, Chris, appreciate it. The positive comments like this make it all worthwhile. Hey Mike, tips for breaking 800 plus credit score. Always had a good credit score, but little history, just got a cash secured loan. Anything else I can be doing? Hoping to get a good mortgage rate in one to two years. Well, Elliot, I think the key is just getting above like 750. When you're above 750, the rates don't change really at all. So it's just about you know, getting your score to a, like the very good category. That's the most important piece, but ways to improve your credit score. I have two videos you can go check out in my history about the credit score explained. So talking about you know, the average age of credit, that's important. Talking about the types of credit that you have, you need a, a multitude of various types of credit, that's important. Um, talking about also like payment history, how often you're paying it off, are you paying your balances off? Um, are you having zero balances on your cards, which is a, a mistake actually, they wanna see you using it, but not using it too much. You never want your balances to go over 30% of your available credit. Just things like that, that you wanna be doing to improve your score. William says, hey Mike, how many properties do you own when you retired? Are you around a dozen? Correct, thank you. Uh, William, so when I retired, 2016 December, I retired. No, I didn't give my notice. And then in February I quit. So not quit, but orchestrated a layoff. Um, February, 2017, I orchestrated the layoff. So I've been done since then. So that was, geez, almost four years ago. Four years ago in a month. I haven't had a job in four years, technically proper job um that's wild like a, a, a proper slave job that I hated that's it's been four years I, I've had jobs I guess since but I haven't had a proper slave job since then 
Yeah, I had about a dozen properties at that point. Yeah. And I didn't have any JV partners when I quit. Yeah, I had never done a joint venture partnership ever at that point. And then I did JV partnerships after that in order to scale and partly led by a friend who wanted to partner with us. So it was like, a, I did a lot of three-way JVs and yeah. I won't go down that rabbit hole. You guys know how that turned out. Not so well. I mean, I made money, but it was stressful as hell. And I did some really bad deals that were bad for my time. Uh, Elliot says, appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Happy to help. D How To says, greetings, Mr. Rosehart. Hi, thank you. LaVar says, hey, Mike, thought you weren't streaming today. No, nope. stream every day, every Wednesday. Not every day. I'm on Instagram every day, multiple times a day. But on YouTube, I'm every single week consistent on the Wednesdays. I might start doing a, another drop starting in February or March, like doing a weekly video. We'll see if I can work up the the energy to do it. The, I have a lot of things on my bucket list and it's not super high on the list, but it is something I want to do. What do you recommend for real estate investors? Should they look for, what should they look for? I think is the word you're missing. What should they look for in their first investment property? Um, you know, that depends. It's so hard to answer that question and say, hey, this is the first property for you. You should be you know, buying turnkey. I hear a lot of people say that. That's one of the common wisdoms you know, buy turnkey because you don't want to overwhelm yourself on your first real estate deal. I've heard other people say, you know, buy a hugely under undervalued property on your first deal and then like drowned in how hard the rentals are going to be for you. And you'll learn how to swim by drowning. And so I've heard the two different approaches, like go all in and like drown yourself in stress. And then there's like the buy the turnkey and ease into it. I've heard the middle approach where you do a little bit of cosmetic stuff like floors and paint. Um, I don't know, I've heard a, a different bunch of different approaches to getting into your first real estate deal, but I personally think it's better to ease into it. That's sort of how I did it. I didn't take on a huge, huge renovation, but a decent renovation on my first property. And then my first rental that I didn't live in was just cosmetic paint and floors, like a duplex style. Um, so I kind of eased into it a little bit and then I got more and more aggressive as I went. So that was how I did it, but there's no, no right way. Like maybe you work, 80 hours a week in your full-time job. And so the right way is a turnkey property with a property manager in place day one. That might be the right kind of deal. And that might mean that your cap rate's a little bit, you know, not as good or a little bit worse than what it would be if you'd bought a turnkey or a um, struggling property rooming house that you needed to invest a ton of time and stress into. So it just depends, I guess, is the answer. It depends. Hey Mike, what's the best institution in Canada for low fees when index investing, assuming it's not one of the big banks? So I think um, you can still buy like the Vanguard funds and stuff, but like everyone has a low, all the banks have a low cost ETF you can jump into. Um, even BlackRock has the same thing you can jump into. There's there's also like the robo-advisor style too, like the, the wealth simples of the world you can check into. Quest Trade has their own, like most of the, the brokerages have their own, like the Quest Trade has their own series of ETFs. You can buy into them anytime you want for no fees. So there's some cool stuff there, depending on which brokerage you're with. Thanks, Mike. Seen the videos, super helpful. Good to hear I'm already mostly in the clear. Good to hear. We're good trustworthy lenders, not the banks to help you do a deal with less money down and or how do you find them? I mean, you go to a mortgage broker and most mortgage brokers know some private lender that they can reach out to, some person like me or whatever, some investor that has some capital 
And then there's varying degrees, I guess. There's like the private people, which are out in the sphere of like, they have, there's some people with money and the mortgage broker could connect you. Or you could link up to that person and avoid the mortgage broker entirely and just go direct to someone you want to borrow money from. They exist at networking groups and you'll find them out there on the internet. They're mostly flocking around other real estate investors and in those types of meeting groups and um, physical meetup groups and stuff too. But um, you'll also find that type of lender sort of blends as the, that type of lender gets richer, they end up start, starting their own like mix or their own like little pooled funds with friends. And so then you'll find like sort of, they're like C tier lenders. And then there's like the more established B tier lenders. And then there's sort of like the credit unions and all that kind of stuff. And there's like the big banks. So those are sort of like the layers of you know, lenders, I guess, sophistication within the lenders. And each one takes a little bit more risk. And with more risk, you're gonna pay more. So you should expect 8%, 9%, 10%, 12% mortgages. Whereas, you know, the big banks might give you one and a half percent. So expect to pay 800% more in interest, but then there's the flexibility there with that product. So for flipping or for short-term refinance projects, it makes a lot of sense to go the short-term route, go with more expensive private lender, and then refinance into A-lender stuff after a while. What are your thoughts on the renewable green energy sector? I don't have a lot of thoughts on it. I don't study it, I don't cover it, but it just in general, I like renewable energy. I think it's you know a trend that people are have been adopting for some time now it's been you know it's been bullish for for several years now i think that's where we're going people love solar people love ev vehicles that's a trend we're, we're moving towards people love you know wind energy and they love like it's just it's just a better more sustainable source of energy and it's cleaner for our planet so i think where it can make sense economically people are about it and we're getting better and better at being more and more efficient at harnessing the sun or the wind or whatever renewable energy sources um to generate more power more efficiently. So the cost of the, the capital needed to deploy to, to build those systems is getting better. And um, so I think there's more opportunity for that in the, in the near future. I'm not super, like I'm not throwing it all on that, but I could see it being a small percentage of someone's portfolio, for sure. We're making some cool technological advancements in that space. And I think there'll be a lot of good headwind for that in the time to come. Oh, last question. Andrew says, shg.v, undervalued growth stock for you. Any opinion on the price of the market? S&P 500 P 40 times versus 15 times the 100 year average. Optimism at scary high levels. It's true. The market is very optimistic. Um, they overvalue, I don't know if it's overvalued or not, but a lot of it's driven by how cheap debt is, right? That is a factor of the price to earnings ratio on equities, right? So it's just, it's just the nature of, of the market we're in right now. I don't know if it's a bubble. If interest rates rise, equities will fall. That's just the nature of it. Uh, Mohil, I just answered that question earlier. I talked about pre-construction. If you listened about 10, 15 minutes ago, someone asked a question about pre-construction. And I've covered that six episodes ago or so. I did a good question on that as well. Um, but the short answer is, it can make sense where you put not a lot of money down. It can make good sense. You get a great return on investment if you're smart about what you're buying. But there is a lot of stuff builders sell that's not well-priced. So just be careful. Some stuff's not well-priced. Some stuff you gotta put a lot of money down and you can get in some trouble. But where you're buying the right stuff in the right area that's priced well and you've got a long time till closing and you've got low money down, it can make sense. It can make sense. 
would you consider buying GM stock? I haven't researched them at all, so I can't give an opinion one way or the other, but I will start talking more and more about it as I start to options trade myself. Um, I didn't even know they had the self-driving super cruise electrification and size of operations, but I know you're a Tesla fan. Thanks for your thoughts. Well, the Tesla is by far better than anything I've seen GM produce from a quality product perspective, but GM's not targeting in the same space the Tesla is. The Tesla is tar targeting someone like me who's a little bit higher disposed income, status, et cetera, looking for more a luxury vehicle. Whereas I think GM could target like the average person that wants to get into EV at a much better price tag. And if they could offer similar type features, maybe slightly less luxury, then it could make sense. Um, yeah, I think they've been around for a long time and they have a lot of things going for them as a company. I don't know what their current price to earnings ratio is or dividend they're paying. I'd have to look into it to say whether I'd invest or not, but they haven't really been on my radar, to be honest. Uh, why would the government raise interest rates? Well, if the economy started to rebound, they could raise interest rates to control inflation. They might touch interest rates. There are a number of reasons why uh, the government might touch interest rates. Um, they might be forced, their hand might be forced due to an import-export issue. They may, it could be an inflation issue, a currency devaluation issue, where like, as an example, if other countries started raising interest rates because something that was happening there, then Canada would have to follow suit as an example. So there are many situations where interest rates could rise. Um, it's gonna be expensive because we have a lot of national debt. And as interest rates rise, it's that's expensive for the government too. So it's not in their best interest, but ideally the central banks are separate from the government, right? They're, they're separate bodies. The government shouldn't be able to control the central bank. If that happens, we end up in hyperinflation, right? That ends up in a, like we end up in a Venezuela type um, situation. So they're supposed to be separate bodies. Um, the central bank's job is to regulate the inflation rate. And look at what's happening in the real estate piece. I know it's not the whole consumer price index, but some things are becoming extremely inaffordable or unaffordable is the rather the word. So. Vacant land question. Yeah, I mean, it can make sense. You gotta really look at each deal. In some cases it can make sense, in some cases it doesn't make sense. Just remember there's a lot of carrying costs associated with holding land. So yeah, I mean, teach their own. I think that the holding costs related to a long flip or a long development project are not worth it. I like the cash flow as opposed to a maybe, if council approves this idea, I'll make huge lift. I like to be in control as opposed to, you know, being out of, out of control. So that's just my strategy for investing. Same way I, I don't invest in growth um, startups. People bring me app ideas and stuff, it's not me. I like cash flow businesses where they can produce a profit this year, they got a plan to grow this year. I don't wanna pay for growth. Like, I don't wanna hear, oh, we could, we could do this, we could do that. I wanna hear, we're doing this now, it's proving in the market. That's just the type of investor that I am. I feel more comfortable investing in that. Um, so yeah. Anyway, everyone, I guess we're gonna wrap up here. We're pretty much through all the questions. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for watching and for joining me each and every week. It means a lot if you follow me on Instagram, at Mike Rosart. And if you give this video a like, I see 17 likes. I know we can get this up to at least 25 likes here. There's 50 people watching right now, thereabouts. So smash that like button. It's giving the applause saying, hey, thanks for speaking. It means a lot um, just to smash that like button. And if you're watching the replay right now, jump in the comments and leave me a little comment. Just say, hey, Mike, you know, what's up? Great stream, X question, and I'll publicly answer it for you in the comments. So thanks everyone so much for watching and I'll see y'all next week and I'll see you in Instagram, all my stories and in my DMs.
Bye, everyone. Spend less, earn more, and maximize returns. It's a secret to unlocking wealth for you. You heard it here first since early 2018. Bye, everyone.